Welcome to the Internal Communications Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. For a moment, I'd like to take you back to 1949. Britain is slowly recovering from the ravages of war. National service and rationing will continue for many years to come. More than 70% of British workers are in manual labour and around 10% of the female workforce are still in domestic service. In March of that year, at the National Cash Register Company on Marlebone Street in London, a group of journalists and writers have come together for the inaugural meeting of the British Association of Industrial Editors. Their mission? To improve the standards of the in-house journal, one of the very few ways in this heavy industrial age of informing, connecting and engaging employees. Today, that association is called the Institute of Internal Communication. It is the voice of our profession, dedicated to strengthening our confidence, credibility and community. Next month, on the 12th of March 2019, the Institute celebrates its 70th anniversary. To talk to us about the Institute, its past, present and future, is its Chief Executive, Jennifer Sprawl. Jennifer initially joined the IOIC in 2015 as Head of Commercial and became CEO a year later. Under her leadership, membership is up, participation in events and training has increased, and members now have The Voice, a new channel dedicated to IC news and insights, both in print and online. So clearly this isn't a professional body resting on its laurels, but precisely what does it offer IC practitioners today? And what does it plan to offer us in the future? These were just some of the questions I put to Jennifer when we met on a chilly but surprisingly sunny February morning in central London. But I started by asking Jennifer about her very first impressions of IC. Jennifer had spent previously much of her career in market research, including nearly four years as strategic marketing and sales director at the Market Research Society. So when she first started working with IC professionals, what most surprised her about the discipline and the people? I think the thing that really surprised me or I thought about coming from my background, which is, as you said, market research, but I'm also marketing by trade. I've been in the business world, the professional bodies world, and I've been lucky enough in my career to have lots of inspiring different speakers and topics. But the fact that it had never been discussed. Oh, right. The fact that internal communication to some degree wasn't on that bigger, wider arena. And we weren't talking about it in the areas where I've come from. Because actually, when you get to understand what it actually is, It impacts everybody that walks around the street, everybody that you pass, everybody that you talk to is touched by internal communication. It affects a lot of us. So the fact that we weren't showing more light on that and its value and actually how people, our biggest asset, are our biggest advocates and our biggest relationship that perhaps we need to nurture and that wasn't being discussed in that bigger business marketing research arena as a key asset. It was very surprising when I got to understand internal comms. No, I can absolutely understand where you're coming from. We spend so much of our time at work that, as you say, communication in half of our lives really is about internal communication. And when I started to explain it to friends, 
And they go, what's internal communication? And I would say, well, have you had an email or somebody talked to you in the business? They go, yeah, it's that. <laughs> oh, well, I don't like the way that's done to me. And that makes me feel or that, or that makes me leave or that makes me go. And when you get to unearth that, it's simple but powerful. Absolutely. And I think that that's what really, I think, intrigued me or surprised me. I think in terms of the people, I love the people in internal comms. I say that with real heartfelt motion. I think that we practice what we preach. Yes. We want our organisations and our leaders and the people that we work in to feel open, to feel warm, to feel connected, to have conversations. And we do it with each other. We are really open. We're transparent as a community. We are. We're sharing. We're helpful. We're warm. We're kind. Yes. All those things that we want our organisations to be. So we really embody that. And I think that because there's other businesses or other professions that don't have that oh really really do with a little (laughs) bit more of that kind of sharing and being better together yes is really what I think is great about the people in internal comms we're a very sort of generous and caring Mm. bunch aren't we and I I love that yeah it's very noticeable Mm. which is one of the reasons I love the profession so much I think in terms of your technical market research background customer insights and so on I'm guessing you've used that just that knowledge and that practice and that methodology in this role to find out what the IC world needs, I guess, from the Institute? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've come from a business and marketing world as well as a research world. So I've certainly used that ability to unearth the facts. Right. To convince people to make the better decisions. And when I joined the IOIC, there was a need to get beneath the surface. Right. To understand, well, where's the business going? What do our members want? How do we structure and prioritise ourselves? Right. And actually, I have to influence the board members. Right. But I also have to understand the members. I have to play a bit like an internal communicator. Yes. That bridge between the two sides. Yes. So being able to use research or evidence or facts or data, and that doesn't just mean a survey or a membership survey, which we do, which has been great, but it also means interrogating the business. Right. Looking at the business and where it's going and what people are saying and how they're feeling and where things are financially moving as well. Mm. Being able to be, I think, quizzical and and ask more and having that mindset born into me has been very useful. And then I think to be able to then take, well, those are the ones that are what we really need to focus on. So understanding how to drive that into a narrative for the organisation, I think absolutely fundamental skills that do me well. Is there any particular kind of tools or methodologies that you think I see people mm. could do well to adopt from their market research mm. colleagues? Is there a bit of discipline sharing there? I think there is. And I think that one of the things I guess that's fascinating me as well is that we haven't spent much time really understanding insight. Right. And what good insight. Yes. We talk a lot about measurement in internal comms. We need more measurement. We need ROI. And we haven't really understood what that means and how yes. you craft that. The research world has pioneered for 70 plus years evidence make decision making evidence matters that's what we talked about at mrs actually evidence has the power to influence to change minds to do all those sorts of things and it's built on robust frameworks and robust consideration and there's wonderful techniques in the insight world that i think that we could use of course the quantitative side of things good survey design, good question design, Mm. good analytical skills. You know, the research industry suffered as well from DIY research. Right. They've always struggled with that parallel as well. So actually understanding the crafting of a question can change the result that you get. Absolutely. And change the way that you view things. From other methods of qualitative, actually facilitation of focus groups, not anyone can do it. Like not anyone can do internal comms. Yes. It is a skill set that we need to work on. But I think there's other great techniques in the research world so if you look at observational research 
Yes. It's fascinating. You look, there's techniques like ethnography. Yes. Which is, you know, where researchers immerse themselves in a culture to understand how people make meaning, how yes. people form identity from semiotics, which understands how symbols or signs evoke emotion and meaning. Right. And one of the things that I always say when I get events, people always ask me, well, how do I convince, how do I give evidence? How do I convince people? How do I get insight? And I always say, well, if you work in a big corporate organisation, is there an insight department? Yes, there always will always be. Is. Have a coffee with that person. Mm. You know, data science, if you haven't even got onto big data and smart data, we'll learn those techniques. I'm not saying we can suddenly become insight professionals, but we can certainly glean from those minds and that wider reading. Mm. And there's lots out there. Absolutely. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got more than an opinion, haven't you? Data makes it much more factual, as you say, evidence-based and much more likely that someone's going to sit up and take notice of your recommendations. When we get lots of information and lots of data or lots of statistics... That doesn't necessarily mean an insight. No. We want to just show it all. We want to prove it all. You need to learn that crack going, what are the thing that actually is going to make the difference? What is yes. the piece of insight or data that's going to convince that person to yes. invest in what I do? And I had a boss once who said to me that if you've got a strategy, if you can't put it on one side of A4, your one argument, then I'm not going to have time to listen to it. Absolutely. And it's a really important discipline when convincing. So I'm going to sort of now allow you to give a big plug, unashamedly give you a big plug plug. for the IOIC. (laughs) If I'm new to the world of internal communication, Mm -hmm. or maybe for whatever reason, I haven't yet become involved in the Institute, what would be the reason for me to find out a little bit more and get involved? Sure. So my big plug, hopefully the sales pitch will work. (laughs) (laughs) So... It's a bit like what I was talking about earlier. We are stronger when we're together. So becoming part of an institute, you get to be part of that bigger pool of knowledge, that right. bigger pool of learning. Yes. You know, the things that we do. So at the heart of it, people join because we give you credibility. We give you that designation, all that stuff that goes out that says that I have been validated. I have been judged as a knowledgeable professional. Right. Therefore, you can trust me. So that's first and foremost at the heart of what being a member is all about. But then through the, obviously, the IOIC in our community, you get access to, obviously, professional development. You can have access to events, Mm. connections, voice magazine, you know, quarterly content. We are there to help connect, to help develop, to help champion as well and actually give you credibility. And the more people that come into that community, the stronger stronger the output will be. We're only as good as the people we represent. Absolutely. We can do more to advocate. Yes. You can do more to show the wider arena why you need that kind of skill, why you should invest in that kind of function. Yes. And actually what good looks like. In today's world, obviously, with social media, particularly with LinkedIn, with Twitter, whatever, it's very easy to get good ideas to sort of crowdsource the next solution, whether it's a tool or, or whatever it is. Is that a threat to institutions like the IOIC? Yes. In a short word, it is, yes. I think there's a definition we need to make between opinion and best practice. Right. I would always encourage people to share. Part of being an institute is having a community. And if you've got a question or you want some help or you want some case studies or, yes, turn to Twitter. Yes, Mm. turn to social media. Use your connections that you've met through the IOIC as well. You build that network. But that's opinion and personal experience. Right. Where membership bodies have always been threatened, I guess, by user-generated content. I remember that being an issue many, many years ago and combating that to show why we're different is definitely a challenge. From my point of view, like I say, there's opinion, but then there's best practice. Now, best practice, when you think about it, is something that has been peer-reviewed. 
that has been assessed, that has been judged, that has been given a standard. Mm. And that's different, perhaps, than what you might get in the crowdsourcing. There's no problem in combining the two, Mm. but understand, I think, the difference. You know, for example, in our qualifications, those are embedded in teaching people best practice. So what that means is that when we recommend people to use texts or studies or things to articulate their point of view, if they want to, from an academic standpoint having those kinds of texts that have been peer-reviewed or Google scholared in some way are going to add more weight to your critical opinion right. than perhaps a discussion on a forum. You might want to use a blog to help embellish or expand on your point of view, and we recommend that. Mm. But there is a difference. And from an academic and accreditation point of view, you will be highly marked mm. if you can use that appropriate framework and critically analyse that in some way. OK, so it's interesting. So social media and all those things, great for sort of exploration, Absolutely. maybe inspiration. But when you need something that's backed, as you say, coming back to that evidence base, mm. what does good look like? Mm. And how do we decide what good mm. looks like? Mm. Then you need something a little bit more academic and scholarly and peer reviewed, as you say. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's something that we're working on at IOIC. We've embedded it very much in our qualifications and we still want community. We love social media. We love conversation. Mm. Voice magazine is a discussion. That is not something that if someone quoted Voice magazine in their academic qualification against a text would get the same mark. No. But it should be there to enrich your perspective and enrich your views. But there is a difference. So from an IOIC point of view, we're looking at how we can drive more peer-reviewed content. Right. Yes, that makes... In a bigger stream. And that's something that's kind of on our agenda over the next couple of years. It sounds good. It sounds so we good. can create that definition between the two. Yeah, that makes perfect mm. sense. What should encourage someone to go back to the classroom though? Mm. I mean, I did it with Cranfield University a couple of years ago and it was that amazing, mm. but I took a deep breath. People at all stages of their career probably will have a reason not to do it. Mm. What would be your encouragement to say to somebody get some accredited training? I mean, it's right. I mean, there are some people along you meet them that are at different stages or different contexts. And it is a commitment, but I think it's something that's so worthwhile. I mean, I meet our students at the beginning of right. the qualification and then I'm there at the end of the right. qualification. And seeing that difference really? is absolutely amazing. We had an interview day for our advanced diploma this week where we met the students at the end of the process. And you're interviewing them on what they've got out of the qualification, what they feel has changed. And actually, going back to our point and what we've been talking about, evidence, best practice, the main thing that they definitely get is confidence. Wow. And what they feel like at the end of it is they have this kind of breadth of knowledge, this breadth of best practice, this breadth of basis, this breadth of evidence, so that when I go into my organisation or go into my colleagues, it changes the way I present themselves. Right. A couple of people said to me in an interview this week, that their colleagues have noticed their difference. Wow. In the way they articulate their argument or they articulate their ideas or they're standing back from something going, well, I should have done that a little bit differently. Or in some cases, they're going, I'm doing it right. Yeah. It's confidence. And I think the main things as well that we teach fundamentally through our qualifications, which are skills which should take you forever into your career, actually, no matter what you do, it's critical analysis and reflective thinking. Right. They are skills that will always be able to look at something and make an informed judgment on what that good is or why it's different. And then reflective thinking, what went well, what didn't go well, and how can I learn from it? Having that embedded into you will always help. Absolutely. They're skills for life. Absolutely. They're career skills for in and out of the workplace, to be fair. So tell me a little bit about FutureNet, which sounds like something from The Matrix. (laughs) We like to feel we're quite modern sometimes. We try to move ourselves into more modern. 
modernity, <laughs> I will definitely say. I think this came out of, was there something that I talked to the board about, to members about? I think this will resonate with everybody. When I walk into a room of internal comms, whatever event, and I ask the question, how many of you chose a career in internal communication? 99.9% of hands don't go up. <laughs> <laughs> and also as well, when you look at internal comms, it can be a lonely place. Yes. It can be a very lonely place for some people. And particularly when you're new or you transition for another, you don't know what good looks like or you're afraid, fearful mm. to ask those questions. Mm. Mm. So I think that what we wanted to do with FutureNet was create a network that was dedicated for newcomers, in essence. Right. So it's for anybody that's been in internal comms under three years. That's nothing to do with age. Ah, I thought I no. would be disqualified. I'm disqualified on that basis. No, but I some of our my... network members are in their latter part. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer's being very polite I'm now. trying to be <laughs> diplomatic. This is quite challenging for me. There's some people that made made that career transition later on in life, say from HR or whatever, and they're suddenly in this internal comms world. Mm-hmm. You know, I had it in my early career when someone comes over to your desk and says, oh, could you give me this draft on this and you go I don't know what that is and it's finding a safe space Mm. to talk to share so what FutureNet are doing is they are doing dedicated events so they can come together they can learn they can hear what career choices what the career opportunities are how they can get the skills to progress the other thing they've introduced is Ask FutureNet, which is sort of a monthly Zoom call. Oh, brilliant. So they come on in a month, about 10, 15 people. It's chaired by a FutureNet member. Go, what are you dealing with? And I've got this problem. I've got that one. They help each other out. And it's a very safe space to do that. The long-term aim, going back to my original point as well, is that we want these people to become our career ambassadors. For oh. comms. One of the projects they're working on is coming up with a careers guide to tell people about a career in internal comms for the undergraduate market. Brilliant. So we hope in the years to come that this group will become those people that perhaps will go out and talk to undergraduates and explain what careers are, explain what their choices are. And when they come fresh into it, they have a safe space where they can develop and grow. What a great idea. Mm. We will make sure in the show notes that we explain what FutureNet is and how Mm. people can get involved. What I love the idea about that, that, the sound of that is that often at conferences you'll see the people that are new Mm. who are kind of slightly at the back of the room slightly sort of to one side because it feels like oh this is a big club I'm not part of it Mm. whereas if you create a safe space for people who are all new they're all coming together no one probably has a contact in the room Mm. it's so much easier isn't it they feel they're without judgment right we can all remember our early careers when we had to walk into our first networking event and it's scary absolutely it's really scary and you do want someone to guide you through that and then it's great when they do turn up to bigger events they know each other so they find each other let me come on to the awards so you run a national awards annual awards program at AB we're a big fan of it because it's one of the few awards programs that we enter each year where you get the judges comments win or lose you get to sit down with your client and go through those judges comments and sometimes the external peer perspective on things is very very useful but there is I'm sure people out there listening who are thinking to themselves isn't this just a big club and if I slip someone some money somewhere or wink at the right person or say the right word do a funny handshake whatever it is that I'll get an award what do you say to those critics if that was the case I'd be a millionaire that's so <laughs> I can tell you it's not the case my answer is it just isn't it isn't about that I mean the thing that I think we're most proud of with the IOIC awards particularly 
Our judges, they're putting their ethical professional reputation out there as a judge. It's right. not hidden. Right. We all know who they are. And actually, personal brand and who we are matters to those people as well. Yes. So that they come from that point of view. There is strong entry criteria. When the awards are judged, they are sat there with a definitive entry criteria or marking sheet that they have to score that by. Mm. You can't waver off that. And then, as you said, the other part I think that makes the most transparent is those are shared with all the entrants. Yes, absolutely. Every entrant, whether you are, don't get shortlisted, you are shortlisted, get an award of excellence or a class winner, that critique, that mm. reasoning as to why those judges have given you that score, that feedback, is given to every entrant. So you can't get more transparent than that. That makes perfect sense. And I see your point about the judges. As you say, they're on the IOIC website. You can see who they are. There often are names within their particular, I don't know, industry sector or in comms in general. So you're right, I understand perfectly that their brand, their personal brand is tied up in making sure that the, the scheme is robust. One of the things I suppose our clients struggle with every year is measurement. So I'm guessing without some form of measurement, if people are wondering why they haven't won. When we look at the criteria that people are judged by, measurement and impact is one of the criteria that you're marked out mm. of. And often if that mark is lower, that will be the thing that flips you from one area to the other. Right. And measurement is something that we really struggle to see in the entrance and something that I couldn't encourage more for us to get better at right. okay. as a profession. And the other thing I suppose, and I noticed this when I was an IABC gold quill mm. judge, is that you sometimes see measurement, and it's all lovely with measurement, and it proves lots of things, but it doesn't actually prove anything to do with the objectives that the project was set in the beginning. Mm. So you're like, oh, I've got to really measure against your objectives, but you're not giving me any data that backs up mm. that you fulfilled those objectives. This other data is lovely, but... Mm. Kind of irrelevant, really. I mean, if you think strategy, when we think about strategic thinking, it's quite simple. Where are we now? Where do we want to be and how are we going to get there? Mm. If you don't know where we are now, mm. you're never going to know if you got there. Yes. And we need to get better at smart objectives yes. as well, because that, again, helps us with our measurement. You know, we have great objectives. We want a more engaged workforce. We want, And we know they're really good, but we need to find a, a smart objective at the beginning how it's here these yeah. are the problems this is what the percentages are so that you can pre and post yes the pre and post piece it gives you that demonstration that yes. what you did in the middle yes. achieved what it was supposed to do absolutely as absolutely. well as being beautifully crafted yes and put together as well yes yeah so show that improvement in attrition rates show that improvement in health and safety incidents absolutely. show that improvement in absenteeism or whatever it is you whatever, were it is. whatever problem you were trying mm. to solve mm. yeah Absolutely. Yeah. And I know that statistics can be hard to find in businesses, but just dig. <laughs> Ask. Be that annoying person. And that's the one thing we're good at, being nosy and curious. Yes. Never lose that. So this is 2019 is a very special year for the Institute of Internal Communication because it's 70 years old. How are you feeling? Well, I'm, I'm feeling like I might be 70 myself. <laughs> it's quite exhausting. I mean, obviously, I've been in the IOIC Two and a half as chief exec, three years overall. So I've been on this wonderful journey of discovery of internal comms and where it came from. And it's been fascinating, actually, from my point of view, going through the archives. I mean, I always see we have an archives facility, which is in there. I found our first ever newsletter. And when you read it, it's something, I guess, maybe it's me personally, but it makes me feel really passionate yes. about us as a profession. And that makes me feel really passionate about how important it is for people, yes. well-being, Society. Yeah. yeah and I think that we are finding our gravitas 
Yes. 70 years on. I think Absolutely. we're finally getting to our point of gravitas. Yes. Um, I think it's been a bit of a journey to get there. But I think that looking back at the founders, of which there were 50 of them, Wow. Who formed what was then the British Association of Industrial Editors. I always say very catchy. <laughs> <laughs> it was at the Cash Register's head offices in London in March 1949. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of an homogenous of journalists, really, that were doing house journals. And I think they did a study of house journals that were out there. And the feedback basically came out saying they're cheerfully amateur, which was the quote that I loved. And what they basically said is we need to actually bring a level of professionalism and professionalise what we do, because actually that's really important to how we feel about our employees, our people. And I think that that professionalism and that agenda and actually showing how we professionalise communication with people at work demonstrates how you view them, how you treat them, how they feel. You know, you look back at there was the Industrial Welfare Society as well and there was sort of links there as well. And they were fighting for the rights of working lives, you know, doors on toilets and things like that. We've come a long way. And it's interesting, isn't it, what you say, that we do often act... I mean, this isn't in the job description, clearly, but we do often act as the kind of conscience of our organisations. We're the ones that say, sorry, guys, but that's gobbledygook and no one's going to understand what you mean or want to understand what you mean if you use that language. Or you might want to talk about that, but actually everyone's talking about this thing over here. Can you not ignore this thing over here? Because that matters a lot more. So that championing of rights, of giving people a voice is just as relevant today isn't it if not more so if not more so but if you think back of the last 70 years I mean why do we have the rise of unionization mm. you know what we've shifted and what we've been through there's no doubt we're in another period of interesting political times shall yeah. we say that yes yes um, but we've been through a lot and actually giving that professionalism to how you communicate mm. when things are good mm. and when they're bad yes plays a a massive impact on not only organizational performance but actually on the well-being of us as human beings. So is there a very big birthday party? I think we have to have a party (laughs) at some stage. So what we want to do is, as I said, we've kind of found our our gravitas. We are going to be highlighting some of the content from our archives as well, because I think that we've had a lot of new members recently and there's lots of people actually don't know about our past, don't know where we've come from. And I think there's fascination in that. Absolutely. And I think that also... An objective, I guess, is to inject that sense of pride. Yes. We should have pride. We suffer with a lack of confidence. I feel like I just want to sort of pull up people's shoulders. Yes, know? yes. No, what you do is really, really important. So what we're planning is we're going to do a lot more content, a lot of discussion, looking back at where we've come from, but also what's that mean to where we're going in the future as a profession. We're working on the website. We're going to have a whole sort of content area where we're going to be sharing lots of insights, videos, thought pieces, opinion pieces, really looking at the past, but also more importantly, what does that mean? What can we use to move forward? But one of the other things that we're launching around the 70th is that we want to, as IOIC and as IC, feel more purposeful. Right. I think now's the time for us to feel more purposeful. We help organisations and we need it for ourselves. So... We're going to be launching our new sort of purpose. Positioning internal communications is not only transformational for organisations, but it's transformational for societal well-being. Fantastic. Which I think is a really important point that we don't touch on actually mm. enough. And I think the rise of inclusion and diversity and mental health and well-being is kind of really showing how actually there's such a, a light being shown on that. And with that, we're going to be launching sort of our hashtag We Matter at Work campaign which is kind of what the purpose is all found around is internal comms matter people matter humans matter what we're saying is if you get communication right Mm -hmm. and you make people feel like they're valued respected purposeful connected Mm -hmm. that will do well for organizations and society into the future Perfect. perfect so yeah what we want to do is kind of gather i guess 
crowdsource opinion on what people feel valued to put it on a wider arena the advocacy i guess for internal comms and building your archive for the next 70 years as well so people can look back on 2019 and think that's what everyone was talking about yeah and we will of course have a party good don't worry there will be champagne will be some champagne we'll party (laughs) we'll have lots of events and regional stuff as well as content as well as social media and chances we really want the internal comms community to get behind this Fantastic. Um, so hopefully everyone will feel they can get involved. Absolutely. So I'm going to put you on the spot then, and it's very unfair to look forward 70 more years to, you know, 2089. So I probably shouldn't do that. But over that time, what's likely to be testing and taxing the IC profession? And I think we need to look at the future of work to understand how that affects our role and how that will challenge our role. These things will change, no doubt, and whether they'll last 70 years, I don't know. But I think that the areas that... I think that are going to be quite fundamental in the future of work are around the battle of trust right. and truth. How do we connect people when they don't feel belief, when they don't feel trust? Mm-hmm. I think that also the changing job, the changing labour market. 70 years ago, you came out of school, university, and you got a job. When you got a job, it was safe, it was secure. You would work for your pension and there was an organisational design and you just fitted into it. Yeah, That is shifting. Absolutely, We are living in an employee-driven world. If you look at the rise of the gig economy, it's 1.1 million people working in the gig economy now. Mm. We are challenging the employer going, you've got to give me this, you've got to give me that, you've got to make me feel like this. Yes. And we're not afraid to move and change and chop and change. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so actually what a job and how that relationship is navigated is different. And I think that will continue to evolve. Technology, of course, it's going to change. Mm. I mean... Whether we're all going to suddenly be holograms and virtual meetings and, you know, all communicate as some kind of, I don't know. But I think technology will change. It will change communication, but it will also change the way workplaces operate as well. Absolutely. You know, some of those traditional task-based jobs mm-hmm. may be taken away, but the human connection then I think will start to arise. Yes. If you look at robotics and AI and, and how all that's going to change things as yes. well. Then you've got things around mental health and well-being and mm. flexible life, the changing working environment. What mm. is the working environment mm. now? Yes. It's not what it was. No. Will, well, will offices disappear? We no longer have the corporate place. Will we now mm. all our environment be our laptop and a coffee shop? Mm-hmm. How do you mm. make connection? How do you make relationships? How do you get innovation? How does that make you feel? Mm. And how do you create that feeling of value, that feeling yes. of purposefulness? So looking back on your short time at the IOIC, and I noticed in our report, everything is going in the right direction in terms of membership, attendances, events, and so on. What have been some of your highlights mm. over mm. the short time that you've been chief executive? Yeah, obviously, seeing the membership grow has been a wonderful highlight of mine. We're just finishing up our last financial year, and it's even grown another exponential which is fantastic because that just shows to me a community that wants to be stronger that wants more recognition that wants to invest in what good looks like so that's it but I guess personal projects I mean I love voice magazine I'm yes. very proud of yes. voice magazine we've won some awards ourselves for voice Excellent. magazine as well Excellent. and I'm proud of not only it's I guess the way we present it but I'm proud of the content and yes. the discussion it's giving yes and the way it's making us think differently and it's looking at areas in more detail so I'm very proud of that I'm proud of the masters I'm proud of professional development professional development actually has been our biggest growth area in right. the last two years right we've obviously got the masters now but training courses everybody's really investing in their skills and I'm most proud when I see that impact in somebody when I speak to a student a member and yes. they feel better about who they're doing and the career choice that they've made 
Yeah, because that must be lovely mm. to hear. It is. What's next then? What are your priorities going forward then? So many ideas. Really? We're not short of ideas, that's absolutely for sure. But I think obviously at the moment we're focusing in on the 70th this year and, and becoming more of a purposeful advocate brand for internal mm. communication. I mentioned earlier around peer review content, more best practice advice that we feel is the robust nature that practitioners should follow. Obviously, we want to invest in digital and communities because I still champion face-to-face and we know face-to-face is the most effective form of communication, but our membership is bigger than that can reach. So there's definitely more work to do in that area. And then more and more professional development, right? more and more skills, more and more people help crafting the future where we're going. So it's a lot, but I think initially it's digital membership experience, you know, content and then advocating externally. Are you enjoying it? I love it. You really do? I really love it because I think that as a profession, I think that it's something that has been so overlooked and it's just so powerful. And I think that from a personal point of view, you know, we all have friends, family members. We're all affected by work. Mm. We're all affected by the relationships that we have with our line managers, with our CEOs, with our colleagues. Mm. Um, We're all affected sometimes by redundancies, sometimes by changes. And you have a dinner party with friends and everyone's stressed and anxious. Mm. And actually, you can think how if communication was done right, could have mm. changed that. As a member of the profession, it's been wonderful to see the yeah. impetus mm. that you've given the Institute, mm. because I think you're right. I think our profession needs that body that's mm. championing our credibility, that's building our community, mm. that's building our confidence. So a very heartfelt thank you for your hard My work. Pleasure. My pleasure. And um, I'm looking forward to the... More to come. More to come, absolutely. <laughs> so... I'm going to ask you those quick fire questions, if I may. Go for it. (laughs) I'll do my best. (laughs) If you could ask everyone working in IC one question, what would that question be? How can we make you better? Right. Perfect. Can they tweet you that answer? They can, yes. They can absolutely (laughs) tweet me. At IOIC News, that's us. Just tweet it in. But how can we make you better? How can we give you that confidence? What one book, journal, website, magazine, TED Talk, it really doesn't matter, should all communicators have sort of seen, read, listened to? I struggle with one. Yes. Because I really am an an advocate for knowing the best practice of your topic. So you should certainly read the good texts that are out there, the quirks, the Fitzpatricks, the Mm -hmm. Gowers, to give you that critical strengthening peer review i really recommend people to read around not just internal content, but read around in other disciplines yes you know read i mean the rsa are doing some fantastic work on the future of work yes. just be curious yes read around that check those websites read about insight yeah. look at some really good studies that are going out there it just might spark that idea Absolutely. and read a management book but of course always read voice magazine <laughs> i have to say that but i stick with the text for best practice but when you read around don't just read within communication curiosity will be your biggest Absolutely. friend in your career there's no doubt about that what would you do tomorrow if you knew for certain you couldn't fail throw money at the situation <laughs> <laughs> have that on my wall in my office. Yeah, no, I would because I hope I've conveyed how passionate I am about it and how much I want internal comms to be in a big arena. But the challenge of a membership body is we are a not-for-profit organisation and I take my responsibility. My members are my owners. Mm. They're my shareholders. Mm. And I take Mm. very responsibly and very seriously what I do with that money. And obviously, if there's more of us, then we can do more with it. So you have to prioritise those ideas. Yes. And you have to kind of chip away. You can't leap 
No. And I guess if there was an endless pot of money and I could take what we've got and just know if I spent all of it, it would really result. Yes. Go for it. That's a call for members, isn't it, really, Mm. at the end of the day? If you contribute your bit, then the sum of the parts then equals more than the whole. So another little plug there. This is not so subtle, Katie, but never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you think is the world's best communicator? So this could be someone alive or dead. Oh, I have thoughts about this. I'm going to go with Winston Churchill. Right. I'll tell you why I'm going to go with Winston Churchill. We are going to be entering into more political, interesting times. The world of trust and belief and political institutions is dissipating. But what I think Winston Churchill did well, and if you look back to his history, is when he spoke, he spoke with passion, he spoke with belief, and you believed he was there for you. And he listened. And what he said, he did. Right. And And followed through. Followed through. So I think that it's that ability to take people with you. And I think that we've lost some of that in the world today. I'm going to guess that a lot of people listening to this would love to see a Winston Churchill today. Mm, yeah, I think you know, they would. They're not probably seeing anyone no. like that at the moment. No. This is borrowed from the Tim Ferriss show. If you could have anything written on a big billboard for everyone to see, what would be on that billboard? Hashtag we matter at work. Thank you very much, Jennifer, for taking part in the IC podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So that's a wrap for episode four of the Internal Comms podcast. For links to FutureNet and the other topics Jennifer and I discussed, including those required reading texts from Gower, Liam Fitzpatrick and Bill Quirk, you can go to the show notes on AB's website. That's abcom.co.uk. While you're there, you might like to sign up for I saw this and thought of you. It's our monthly newsletter for internal communicators, a roundup of the latest news, reports and general goings on in the IC world. It's also where you'll hear about our events, future episodes of the show and receive bonus content. I'm very keen, as always, to hear your thoughts on the show and in particular your ideas for future guests. There's lots of ways to get in touch. You can share your views on Twitter or LinkedIn. On Twitter, we're at ABThinks. Or email icpodcast at abcom.co.uk. If you enjoyed the show, I would be very grateful if you could rate it on iTunes. And to make sure you don't miss another episode, please subscribe again on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. All that remains is for me to say thank you. Thank you for listening to the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. And until we meet again, remember, it's what's inside that counts.